Hello and welcome to Learning from Leaders. Each episode, we interview a new leader for a behind-the-scenes look at what makes them tick. In each interview, we aim to understand the routines, habits, and even the failures that got them into the position they're in today. So wherever you are in your leadership journey, we hope you enjoy. Without further ado, this is Learning from Leaders. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Learning from Leaders. Today, I am very lucky to be speaking with Mayor Greg Fisher. Thanks so much for being here. Scott, good to be with you. All right. Well, um, the first question I always like to ask folks is just how long you've been in a leadership role. So you can define that however you want to, but how long have you been in a leadership role? Well, I've kind of been an independent person my whole life, so I would say I've been in a leadership role for 40 years now. Okay. Um, just turned 61. I don't feel like I'm 61, but <laughs> I've kind of been my own boss most of my life. Okay. What about, so I'm always interested in how people start their day. So do you have kind of a routine of how your day gets going to you uh, and, and get as in the weeds as you're comfortable? So, Well, when I was thinking about that question, it really fits into a broader context because mm-hmm. I, I start my day by just kind of going right into it. But sure. I, I do that because all of the work before the morning begins has been completed oftentimes right. a long time ago right so you know when i think about it uh, personally uh, i i believe in goal setting and i'm not uh, fanatical and super anal about it but i set five-year goals and one-year goals both for myself and our my family too and we sit down together with our kids and just think about it broadly now they're older now our kids are 23 to 30 we've got uh, four kids and, and they find it useful now. So it's not a, you know, have you done this and why haven't you done it? But it's like, where do you want your life to go? And what right. are some of the big strokes that are going into that? So, you know, we do that on a personal level. And then uh, certainly here at Metro Government, uh, we have long-term plan. And then we will have anywhere between a two-year plan or a 100-day plan, depending mm-hmm. on what we're working and what kind of clock speed we need to be moving at on issues. So... For instance, when we just started the third term, we we're in a 100-day plan mode right now because I wanted us to have the same sense of urgency uh, during as we started this third term as we did during the first term. And so we, I've got kind of long-term, mid-term, annual goals, and then you know shorter-term goals. Like on Sundays, I'm clear on what I want to get done for the week, and then before I go to bed every night, I'm clear on what we need to get done the next day. So as a result of that, I can sleep well. Right. And then get up in the morning, and uh, basically between you know the time I get up and the time I'm hitting the road is usually about an hour, and okay. uh, off we go. My days are, are very full. So, oh, I believe it. Yeah. I believe it. That's really cool. I had, I had this. I think you're the first person on the podcast who's talked about doing the goal setting with a family too. I think that's such a really cool, interesting concept. Awesome. It's been really fun to see the way our children have kind of evolved into it over the last 15 years, and yeah. you know when they were. 10 years old, what they would say, and what they're 25 years old, what they've said. So, yeah, it's, uh, and we'll see how it all turns out. Sure. Um, what about, so if I gave you your whole life, obviously you'd come up with a long laundry list, but what about if we were just talking about the last five years? Can you talk about what are maybe the beliefs, behaviors, habits that have impacted you most positively during that time period? You know, my beliefs have been pretty steady throughout my adult life, mm-hmm. and when you look back and say what formed your beliefs it's been pretty consistent i've been fortunate to come uh, from a household where i had a great mom and a, and a great dad and of course our parents form all of us but some of their foundational values you know guide me every day yeah. uh, 
in particular, my mom's value was if you can help somebody, help them. Don't, don't complicate the issue. Don't ask what's in it for you. Just do that. Mm. And then uh, my dad's value was treat everybody the same, mm. whether it's the president of a large corporation or a homeless person. Everybody deserves the same dignity and the same respect. So that's kind of formed my viewpoints and kind of thinking about you know, what's the purpose of a human being or life. And I think we're born to make the world a better place to constantly learn and regenerate and, and grow new relations so we have more possibilities uh, to do good. So it's kind of a virtuous cycle, I think, of being compassionate uh, to folks and finding joy in that and finding joy in, in service work. So that would be a philosophy. Mm. And in my business life, which I'm you know, long career as an entrepreneur, I always felt the purpose of my businesses was to create platforms for human potential to flourish. Mm. And when you do that in a company or a nonprofit, there's nobody that can compete with you because everybody in your organization is full of joy and full of anticipation on learning and knowing that they can achieve most any goal they set out to do. And then they take that capacity home with them and teach that to their family, uh, to their neighborhood, to their place of worship, wherever it might be. And so then transitioning that to a city is uh, a driving force for me as a, to be a good mayor is to see the city as a platform for human potential to flourish as well. Mm. And how do we organize all of those resources to, to do that? So you can have the philosophy, but then as you know, how do you put it into action? Sure. And as a business person uh, who almost went bankrupt two times, <laughs> uh, and that ended up, the learnings along that journey ended up serving me well. But as is especially my foundational company called Servant grew, I had to learn how to build high capacity, high performance organizations. And that those tenants are around you know, purpose, uh, planning and planning cycles, uh, total participation from everybody in the company, uh, continuous learning taking place all the time, uh, metrics that are tied into all your stakeholder satisfactions and a really robust ability to continually improve that. Mm. And so when you build organizations around that, they become very effective, which means they have margin, so they can have mission, but it also means everybody they touch is uh, better because of that. So, you know, you can have the beliefs, but then you gotta have a method to put them into action so that your beliefs can be fulfilled. Sure, it's nice to be big hearted, but you gotta have a plan too, that's good. Yeah, and it's, and it's interesting, from like a mayor's perspective, the right. difference between a mayor and a business person is, Say, to, you know, to be a good mayor, you have to have the head of a chief executive officer, but you have to have the heart of a social worker. Mm. Because when you're running a city, you don't get to pick who your population is. Mm. You know, when you run a company, you select your employees, your you know, customers, et cetera. So in a city, everybody's on our team. So there's a much broader social mission mm. uh, than there is with a company. Or it's a more difficult social mission because there's just a lot more variation in the people that you uh, work with. Sure. What about, so I asked this question this way intentionally because maybe this isn't your favorite book, but what would you say is the book that you've given as a gift the most? Well, this is a super old school answer, I think, but <laughs> okay. it's uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Uh -huh. uh, that was very uh, formative for me in the early stages of my career. What can happen in life, you know, it gets so busy is it, it's, it's like swamp-like, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you're just reacting, you're doing this, you're doing that, and it's like, what happened at the end of the day? You were busy, but did you move the ball forward? Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, the seven habits, you know, teach you where you should be spending most of your time. You know, when you think about 
urgency and importance in a little two-by-two two grid. If you want to really advance in life, you need to be spending a lot of time on issues that are important but not urgent. Mm. You know, so you can really be thinking and planning to have breakthrough improvement or continuous improvement in those areas. But too often people get sucked into things that are urgent but not important, mm. right? Or not important and not urgent. Sure. But it takes their time and they feel like they're doing things but they're stuck there. Mm. They're not able to move forward in their career or a relationship, uh, their contributions to their community, wherever it might be. So I was looking for a way, at a particular stage in growth of Servend, um, my company, to break out of that. And somehow I got hooked in with the seven habits and then put those principles to work in conjunction with a planning system and a calendaring system. And our whole organization learned that. And as a result of that, we drained the swamp, you know, from the day-to-day -day stuff. And then we were able to work on stuff that was really important and really powerful for us and that gave us a lot of fuel to move forward so whether it's an organization or a personal approach i think the more that you can you know be proactive be clear on first things first you know sharpening your saw in terms of building your skills those are a few of the seven habits that really serve you well think win-win i don't believe in win-lose relationships that can't be a win for you if somebody else is losing so those principles stick with me here to, till today. So this is some 35 years later. They've, I think that's a good fundamental book. Yeah, that's some that's some staying power, right? Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, what about? Um, and I think this is a question that maybe a lot of people struggle with. How did you find work that you were passionate about? What was that process like? How did you discover? Well, I've been fortunate in my life. You know, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur, and I've been in situations where I've largely been in control of my own destiny. Uh, when I work with other people, uh, I want to make sure that the values of that organization are consistent with my values, and that the people there are, you know, share those same beliefs about what's important, you know, treating everybody with dignity and respect, win-win relationships, uh, diverse organizations, uh, giving, uh, spirituality, confidence, whatever it might be. And so if, if you find people that generally have a, a value set like that, uh, then it's easy, right? It's not work. You are just spending your time expressing who you are through your own belief system. Mm -hmm. And then hopefully it can be in a way that, you know, provides meaning, whether it's a for-profit or non-profit entity. So that's always been the most important thing to me. And you know, I've been in some situations where uh, clearly there's a values difference between me and uh, other people that I might be with. Mm -hmm. And if there's not an ability to change an organization, if they just have a different way of looking at the world, you know, then I don't associate with those mm -hmm. organizations. Life's too short for that. Mm -hmm. And you find people oftentimes that are not happy because they're in a situation that's not a happy situation. So how do you either change that or do you extricate yourself from that so you can be in a better place. And when you want to be in a better place, do you have the skills that are desired by other people to associate with so that you've used your time to build your capacity so that you can add value either in an economic sense or a social sense so that are like, wow, that'd be great for Scott to be on our team. I mean, mm -hmm. look what he's performed. He may not be a good fit wherever he's at right now, but he'd be a great fit here. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just being clear on what it is that you believe in and what you stand for and then 
look at your organization that way. I've always wanted to have an organization that if somebody didn't have, let's say, the financial ownership of it, when they pulled up in the morning, I want them to feel like, you know, I'm walking into that organization that has my name on the front door. It may not have your name on the front door, but I feel so much ownership in this place that it does. Mm. And you can achieve that kind of meaning in your work through the mission of a nonprofit, uh, through if you're working for a for-profit company, a company that's rewarding you equitably with compensation, uh, with training opportunities, uh, with profit sharing. So it feels like, no, you matter, you count. And if you don't feel like that, wherever you're spending a lot of time, you need to change yourself or change that environment. What about, you know, in those most difficult times, how do you find that you're able to stay inspired? Oh, I've never really had a problem with that. Uh, you know, if you're clear on what your beliefs are, and look, life's not always going to be a bowl of cherries. Mm -hmm. uh, hopefully, most of the time, it's a pleasant experience for you. Uh, but if you're can have conviction on what you stand for and you know you got to be mature enough to know that things aren't always going to go well that you've just got to stay the course I mean as long as your values I think are good noble values and you know you're not taking advantage of other people or anyway if you have a conscience you're going to have ups and downs in, in life they're just going to come your way so I, my my lows have always been pretty high and my highs have always been kind of low you know, so I'm not a real emotional roller coaster mm. kind of person, uh, especially in this job that I've got right now. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that comes at you, and it can be things that are are really sad. You know, it could be the, the the death of a young child in our community that received a, a errant uh, gunshot. Mm. That's and you know, dealing with that is it's the depths of tragedy and despair. But then there can also be great celebratory moments. And sometimes these happen within 30 minutes of each other. So you've got to be pretty even keeled. Fortunately, that's kind of been the way I've been wired most of my life. So just kind of stay the course, have constancy of purpose, have good people around you, have good plans, do the best you can do, and that's all you can do. And choose not to be stressed. I mean, I think people say, oh, man, this must be a really stressful job. It's like, well, if you, if you have a great plans and great people and you work hard and good values, what's stress going to do for you? So I choose not to be stressed. Just get a good night's sleep and get up the next morning and get after it again. That's great. That's awesome. Um, what about, uh, and I asked this question this way on purpose, uh, do you have a favorite failure that you could reflect back on maybe? Maybe that was early on or something that was maybe instructional in some way. Well, in my, in my business world, I had, uh, you know, failures that led to improvements mm. and the, the stakes are a lot lower, you know, and, you know, so when you're inventing, so I've had some experience as an inventor back in my early days, you know, quite a few failures in that, but they ended up leading to good successes uh, on, on building solid companies. Mm. But I think more, more relevance might be uh, in this role that I have right now as an uh, elected official for the city, that I thought we had a, a really good opportunity to turn waste, uh, biodigest the waste, and turn it into energy. Uh, but the way we went about that, we worked with community leaders to do that as opposed to the grassroots to do that. And the grassroots saw this not as a uh, responsible 
energy solution and nor a, a solution to having less truck traffic in their community. They saw it as a imposed solution with a dangerous uh, technology that was being you know, thrust upon them in their neighborhood. Mm. That's not the case, but that was the perception. Mm. And the failure was our, uh, it was not a decision really, it was our lack of engaging it deep enough at the grassroots level to, to uh, expose people to the concept, let them have a say in whether or not this made sense for their communities after they uh, really had uh, their input and understanding of what it was, and then uh, move forward from there. Mm -hmm. So that, that to me, if I call it a favorite failure, it's because it led to a much deeper process that we have now for community engagement. It's mm -hmm. so like in the Russell neighborhood right now, we've got a major project going on to remake Beecher Terrace into a mixed income, mixed use community. We had over 100 community meetings that led into the design of Beecher Terrace. So it takes longer up front, but the project goes faster long term because the people in the community, it's their project. So that's certainly an important lesson we try to apply every day. What about how do you make your, your biggest decisions? Do you have a process for that? Do you have a way that you go about that? Well, we make hundreds of decisions here every day, uh, but you know most of the decisions come from data that shows us which is the best way to go. So, you know, data collection and analysis is a fundamental part of what we do here at city government. All of these kind of tools that I learned in the private sector that uh, led to the development of some great companies and high develop high uh, performance organizations we've brought into city government, and you know people sometimes want to crack on government employees and they, you know, think, oh gosh, they aren't very good at what they do. It's, well, that's not been my experience here at all. We, we brought the same performance training tools here. What I found was there wasn't a lot of training given to people in terms of how to be higher performance. So when you don't have training, you know, the message you send to people is you just value their hands, the work that they do. But you've got to invest in folks so they understand that they value you value their intellectual ability to contribute and then their emotional ability to contribute as well. And so that's what's taking place here at Metro Government. So we are, you know, we're the, of our 19 peer cities, we're the fourth lowest in terms of our employee ratio to city population. In other words, we're lean. Mm -hmm. We're known as the most innovative city government in the country because of the work we do in this concept of, that we created called civic innovation. So we have a lot of uh, ways that we make different decisions depending on the level of difficulty they are. But when it comes to you know, the biggest decisions, it's around having the data behind you to make the good decisions, but then what are the multiple diverse viewpoints that you have on a decision and how will it impact people and making sure that those folks have the background and depth of knowledge to look at a problem from 360 degrees. Mm -hmm. And then you get all that in, and I firmly believe, too, there's no one perfect solution to problems. Uh, if you have a, a noble goal and a noble purpose, and you've got all the problem-solving methodology behind you, you make a decision, uh, and then you start measuring it and see how it's doing. And if it's not doing right, then you do course corrections as well. And so as long as you've got that continuous improvement mindset and diverse viewpoints and, and data, 
Uh, I don't think you can make a bad decision, then you can always make it a better decision if need be. What about, so um, you've shared an awful lot. What if, uh, you know, if you were to distill it down, what is one thing that a leader should never forget? Well, uh, a leader should serve, right? And I think there's a duality of leadership that's important and it's particularly useful in today's world. You know, the world, our America has changed anyway from kind of a top-down hierarchical type of approach uh, to leadership to more of a shared sense of responsibility, uh, servant leadership type of role. So for an effective leader there, you have to have uh, confidence that you uh, have the tools and team to get to a challenging point, you know, where you can fundamentally change the direction of an organization. But then you also have to have the humility to say, but I don't know how to get there by myself. Because if an organization is only as good at the, as the person is leading it, you are severely constrained in terms of the amount of good that you can do for a city, for a state, or for a country. So it's about you know, making sure that we're building out methods and processes to scale good work. So it takes, a, I think, a unique person to be able to have the confidence to say we're going to get there, but at the same time just say, but I don't have all the answers, right? So it's that combination, I think, of, of confidence and humility that's important in a good leader. Awesome. Well, Mayor Fisher, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. I'm, I'm so appreciative. Thank you. Okay, Scott, and I just want to say thanks to all of the good people at the Home of the Innocents as well. The work that you guys do is an extraordinary example of servant leadership, I think. Uh, you're effective. Uh, you quietly go about your work. You have people there that are, are passionate about the mission and give their whole life to helping other people, kids in particular. And I can tell you whenever I come and visit you all, it's super inspiring. Well, thanks so much. Appreciate it. All right. Take care. Thanks again to our special guest. This has been Learning from Leaders. Thank you.